Back in 1978, when John Paul II was elected Pope, there were a number of issues that he had to face, like really tons of them. But for the first 10 years until the Berlin Wall fell in 1989, the most pressing issue was, was communism, how to deal with it, what to do about it, how it's affecting really the entire world. And of course, he was the right man for the job. He grew up in Poland. He was uh, the bishop while, while all the communists were trying to get him and all that. So he knew... And even, I think, the conclave, when all the cardinals gathered to elect a new pope, I believe his light reading material while he was, you know, in between counting votes was the Communist Manifesto, just, you know, to know his enemy better than they knew himself. So as he had to deal with this, as he had to face communism, the, the thing was it just didn't stay in Eastern Europe. It wasn't just in Czechoslovakia or Hungary or even in Russia that it was beginning to spread and there became this battleground between the kind of the West and the, and the communists in Latin America. And this is like a radically oversimplification of everything that happened. But basically, in so many of these countries, what happened was there was a, like a right-wing military leader that came to power. And then the communists came to the poor people and tried to kind of influence them to try to gain their support with their ideas. And one of the main ideas of communism or of Marxism is that all of history is this class struggle between the poor and between their oppressors. And their whole way they see everything is this fight between groups, those who've been oppressed and those who are doing the oppressing. Side note, you read the news anymore, you look at watch TV, that's the narrative. That's always the narrative, that there's these people that are oppressed and other people that are oppressing them. End side note. All right. Um, I almost got in trouble with how far I went at St. Lawrence with that. So um, I'm learning. Anyways, so the, so, so the communists. All right. Um, so the, but they, it, the church, though, loves the poor, right? The church always tries to care for the poor, to support the poor. So there was these, the, the, the poor people in Latin America, the church kind of wanted to help them, and the communists were trying to help them. And so what happened was this nasty blend of theology and Marxism. And there was this kind of movement, and it came to be known as liberation theology, that saw this whole kind of struggle between the poor and those who are oppressing them. And even they, so one of the things they did was they looked at last Sunday's gospel, the cleansing of the temple, to say that's what Jesus, he's modeling this radical overthrow of the establishment that needs to happen. That's what Jesus is exemplifying there. And so there's this, na there, this nasty kind of bit of theology built upon communist ideals. And of course, John Paul II is, he's got to face this. You know, on one hand, you've got a military dictator that's doing all sorts of atrocities against human rights. And then you have the communists that are brainwashing and killing religion and all of that. And so what, what does he do? As he proposes this third way of the dignity of the human person, founded on the love of God, that each and every person was redeemed by Jesus Christ and comes forth from the love of God. That's the foundation that things have to be built on, not some sort of kind of crazy communist idea. But for us, I think the thing that we can think about is, what's our faith built upon? Like, what, what's the foundation of our faith? Because there's so many things that can kind of sneak in and we don't even see that what's happening. And there's kind of one that's, that's happening, and maybe, maybe you've heard about this, maybe you haven't, and so I apologize if this is all new or causing alarm. 
But there's a whole lot of conspiracy theories that are present in our, in our world today, actually our country, right? That there's this, like, pl- there was a planned military coup on the day of President Biden's inauguration, or even there was, they said it was going to happen again on March 4th, that there was going to be this coup, and then Trump would be re-inaugurated as the president, and just kind of, well, things that didn't happen. Maybe they still will. I don't know. I'm not a fortune teller, nor do I claim to be or want to be. Um, but really the kind of the issue that seems to be is that there's some people that claim to have a bit of secret knowledge, right? They have some special knowledge as what's going on, and then they're preparing for a big public reveal, right? There's a group that knows what's really going on, and then it's going to be broadcast to everybody. There'll be this big kind of public uprising, awakening, whatever it may be. And that has a way to influence our faith. That same sort of mindset that makes that possible in politics and in our society is being kind of swept into our faith, too, a a different foundation. And so it's like this happens in in our Catholicism. Like there's certain people that have certain prophecies that they know about, that they've heard about, and then sometime in the near future, there'll be this big public reveal, like whole apocalyptic events they're talking about and and, and so these things are kind of, they're boiling under the surface, but they're, um, there's like a website called Countdown to the Kingdom that's saying all these prophecies are coming and it's the, the end of the world and all these apocalyptic events. I, I couldn't tell you how many beeswax candles I've been asked to bless because there's this thought that those are the only ones that are going to work when three days of darkness come. And so it's all of these it's built upon a foundation of secret knowledge, and then there's going to be some sort of big public reveal. And you can kind of understand where it's coming from, though, because things aren't so great, right? Things are kind of in a bad place. Um, and we had in the first reading the Babylonian exile. That first reading started with the Israelites. Um, what was it, piled infidelity upon infidelity, like they had been terribly unfaithful. And what happened was the Babylonians came in, stole them all, destroyed the temple, and sent them off to their own lands of Babylon. So there's this idea that, yeah, we might be in that kind of situation again, that it doesn't seem to be like things are going so well. But we have to ask again, what is the foundation that our faith is built upon? Clearly, it's not communist or Marxist ideals. And it shouldn't be some sort of secret prophetic knowledge that's preparing for a big public reveal. And I think the way forward and the way that we have to look at this again is to turn back to John Paul II. As he began his 26 or 27 years as the Pope, how did he begin things? How did he start things? And his first two encyclicals that he wrote, so an encyclicals were these letters sent to the whole church. The first one... The, the title is The Redeemer of Man. And he points to Jesus Christ as the center of all of this. He points to Jesus Christ as the one that we have to know, and that's going to guide everything else. And he, he talks about how man cannot live without love, how Christ's love reaches each and every individual person. And that is what society, that's what culture, that's what our lives should be built upon. And we hear that echoed in the gospel today. We have maybe one of the most quoted words that Jesus ever says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, 
so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. That this is the foundation, right? That, that God loves the world, that he comes to save the world, and he comes to bring his light to shine in the darkness. And because of that, we're emboldened to build that kingdom, to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he's really the pillar upon which all of this is built. And that's what John Paul II begins his time as the Pope with, pointing to Jesus as the Redeemer of all of humanity. The second encyclical that John Paul II wrote in the early 80s was entitled Rich in Mercy. And he basically steals the title. He doesn't basically. He just takes the title from our second reading today, from the letter to the Ephesians, where St. Paul describes God as rich in mercy, And St. Paul says that he has this great love for us with the immeasurable riches of his grace. God is this father who is rich in mercy. You think if somebody's rich, if they have more than they could ever need, they can can just buy impulsively. They can buy more than they need and there's just, they can buy whatever, do whatever they want because they're rich. And that's the way the father is. He's rich in mercy. So he's so rich in mercy that he's doling it out more lavishly than he ever should, that he's willing to pour it upon people, that he's willing to give it to others. And this is what the world needs right now. We see a world that has really no room for mercy, that has no room for forgiveness, for healing, for reconciliation. And that first begins with ourselves as people who have encountered mercy, people who have been drawn into the mercy of God. And this merciful Father is that other pillar that we build our faith upon, or that our faith is built upon for us. That God is one of mercy. He's not one to condemn. He's not one to hide things in secret. But he's a good Father. He's one that loves us. He's one that cares for us and wants to shepherd us. And so these are the things that we build faith upon. We build it upon Jesus Christ who comes to save us because he loves the world and he comes from the Father of mercies. Because we are in a unique period and maybe a really challenging people period in history and we have to ask, well, what's the solution? What's the way out? Because there's numerous options. Do we look towards prophecies? Maybe. Who knows if they're going to be right? But if I had to bet my money on anything, I'd bet on the Father who is rich in mercy. I bet on Jesus Christ who is our only Redeemer, that it's not some sort of class struggle and it's not some sort of secret knowledge prepared for a big reveal. But the only solution that's ever worked for the past 2,000 years is to turn our foundations back to Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of man, and to his Father who is rich in mercy. And this is what we stand tall in the midst of storms because we know this good Father and we've been redeemed by the gift of Jesus Christ.